Just remember, there's a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. In the culture war, there are no winners, just podcasters. Only a few are willing to risk their lives in the face of some of the dumbest ideas to have ever captured human civilization. Every week, we, Megan Dom and Sarah Hader, humbly accept this mission in order to bring you conversations that are equal parts stunning, brave, and unhinged. Welcome to A Special Place in Hell. Morning, Sarah. Good morning, Megan. I don't know about you, but I love the smell of Schadenfreude in the morning. <laughs> it I, is uh, you know, early for me, and I just leaping out of bed every morning at the news of Ibram X. Kendi's demise. Yeah. I mean, is it a demise, though? He's just going to, I think he's just going to disappear. He's going to be disappeared. Is it, he's going to be disappeared, or is this just a, a minor setback? Yeah, demise mm. was an overstatement. Mm-hmm. Purposeful bit of hyperbole i think his name is so interesting ibram it's well his name is uh henry rogers his real name is henry rogers so he chose this this name i was totally gonna be my name i can't i was like yeah i was trying to think of other names for myself like sometimes when i go to starbucks and they go what what name do you want to write on the cup and i like i want to say megan so sometimes i would say like ibram x or Mm -hmm. sometimes i say karen it's a toss-up Karen X Dom. Karen X Kendi. That sounds good. That does sound good. I think you should just add X. And now it has that Twitter connotation, though. I know. I'm just going to put Megan X. I'm just going to put a lowercase X at the end of Megan. Because I don't like Mm -hmm. my last name anyway. Yeah. Yeah, You could do XOXO or XXX. Oh, yeah. That's what I And then that's sexy. So you Because I don't like emojis. I don't like the heart emoji. So I just go XOXO. Mwah. Mwah. Love. Okay, so oh, in case okay. anybody missed the the big news, uh, there is a turmoil at Ibram X. Kendi's Center for Anti-Racist Research at Boston University. I don't know why uh, schools remain open. They should have shut down. They should have shut down. Uh, this, sh- this should have been a, a federal holiday to mark this this uh, federal emergency. Well, yeah, it's uh, so it 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 launched not too long ago. Um, 2020. Uh, <laughs> it seems like but, ages ago. Oh, okay. For for an org, so I will in my defense of of Candy, which I can get into a little like a little later too. But it, you know, it is three years. It's been three years. That's not a lot of time. But he did raise 55 million dollars, almost, um, which is a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That is too much. Not money. including his MacArthur Genius uh, grant. Well, that was a personal. I think he pocketed you get to that. Keep that. You get yeah. to keep that personally, which is in itself. That's a lot of money. I didn't know that. That was like I thought it was uh, four hundred thousand dollars, but I think that I'm way behind the times. It goes up like twice. That I mean, for a long time, it was half a million. That was the number, uh-huh. and I think okay. it's gone up into the into the sixes. But um, it's funny. I always had the impression that you were really supposed to use it to do something new. Like you, you weren't mm. supposed to renovate your kitchen. You were supposed to build a foundation or just really do a specific art project. What would um, you do if you had? Like, oh, I would definitely renovate the okay. kitchen. Right. But that would be right. my art it, project. And that's why you won't get the grant. No, I'm or not. Maybe that's why you should grant. get the grant. 
Yeah. I'm not going to get the grant because now I'm one of those people that gets asked to uh, write letters uh, saying uh, whether or not I think certain people should get the grant. So that's that's when you know you're never going to get it. Sad day. Can you nominate me? Can you can you rig this in my favor somehow now that I have an insider? Yeah. Next time I get now, usually they get to the point where I don't know how it works to actually like nominate somebody, but then it's sort of like so and so has been nominated. Can you write a letter saying whether or not you should whether or not they should get it? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Have you ever written any of those? Have you like gotten somebody in? I'm not going to say. You're not not going to say. say. Maybe I didn't get somebody in. Oh, have you ever really successfully done that? Like stopped someone from well, getting it? Well, I can tell you they, I can, I don't know. I don't know if it was me, okay. but I, there, mm. there are many people who haven't gotten it. Let's just put it that way. Oh my gosh. Not Megan, you have no. so much power. I do. Have you ever been thinking about how much And that was before we did this podcast. Now, wow. yeah. But um, yeah, Abram McSkendi, wow. they did not ask my opinion uh, when he okay. was nominated. So, and and here he is. Here he is. Um. um yeah, I, I, I don't like, I don't know if I like his name. I think it should be Ibrahim. I think this weird thing that he's doing is Ibram. Like, I don't know how to pronounce it properly. Um, it's an, it's an odd thing that he's trying to do. I don't support it's it. It's not odd at all, but it's very obvious. Anyway, they raised Ibrahim nearly, is what he Ibrahim. Do, yeah. Excuse saying. me. Yes. That, Ibram. Yeah. yeah it's <laughs> Ibram is weird. It, you know. Yeah. Uh, they raised 55 million, um, and, uh, over the last three years. And I mean, I guess how surprising is this? I, it's not really clear to me what the scandal is. Is it just sort of general mismanagement? A lot of people have been fired. Um, I mean, maybe they were trying to use Trello or Asana, one of these, uh, management, uh, systems tools which are tools imp- impossible to understand yeah maybe it was oh. somebody like me on the team who just like couldn't figure out how to use it and they they lost uh 55 I, million dollars what did it though like i don't understand that because i have read a couple of things about what's um happening a couple of pieces and i can't understand what exactly broke um the camel's back it maybe it was just like the mass layoffs that triggered um, this whole inquiry onto into what happened. Um, I don't know if you have more insight I don't because see. it just seems like it was a it was a bad idea from the start. It was being mismanaged from the very beginning, but people forgave him because it was early days. And now that it's a little bit later, what? I mean, what is bringing this to light? I want to know what's what's really driving what's really driving this because something smells fishy to me. Oh, you mean like this is a distraction? Something else is going on. Something else is going on. But why? You know, why, why, why now? Why are we talking about this totally unsurprising thing that he's mismanaging a lot of money? Of course he was. Like, what else was he going to do? Was he going to be competent and he was going to spend it well? Like that, no one thought that was going to happen. So what's surprising about this? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I maybe I'm sure the one of the issues is that just people, some people get, get a pass. I mean, he was going to get be not. So why um, doesn't he still have a pass? Well, like right. what? You know what I mean? Like All what happened? I, I, what's not clear to me what what changed? And the scandal doesn't seem like a it's not a sexy scandal. It's like a mismanagement scandal. No, there's, is, it's kind of a nothing burger. That's the thing is I don't really yeah. uh, I think that there's a, like a lot of people rubbing their hands together um, and feeling glee. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the shot and the aforementioned shot and Freud or shot and Freude, however that's pronounced. But um. Yeah, but I mean, you don't know how ha- to pronounce it. I think it's Schadenfreude. I actually think it has okay. a little extra syllable on the end. But um, yeah, uh, 
I don't know. But it's not even clear to me. It's not like the whole thing is going to be uh, dismantled or taken away. That's just going to have to be restructured. Right? Yeah. Um, Boston University did release a statement um, about what they were going to do next. They were going to launch an inquiry as to what happened and how it happened. And they did insist um, in that letter, I thought it was interesting that they were like, th- th- this has nothing to do with, um, you know, uh, th- th- with their work on anti-racism and, and they still think it's important. It's still a priority. It won't affect uh, their focus on it. So yeah, you're right that it's just going to be restructured into another thing. And we're going to have another, um, maybe not even ex Kendi, someone else um, in charge of a similar sort of thing. So I don't know what's uh, what we're supposed to be celebrating one way or the other. I think people are just happy that uh, Ibrahim Kendi was, you know, unmasked as kind of an idiot. I mean, I guess in a, right, he's he's been unmasked um, in a sort of official capacity. So Michelle right. Goldberg in the New York Times had a fairly anodyne column of, about this, and she was I don't know, she was talking about the you know how the the liberals are competing with the Koch brothers, like with respect to funding, how robust funding can be, and all that. But um, th- I thought the com the reader comments to her column uh, were. Uh, really interesting, actually. I'll just read, read a couple of them. Um, this is great. Somebody says, Kendi is a false prophet of the most damaging kind. This is the writer, this is the, the commenter saying, as someone who studied critical race theory in the 90s in law school, led by authentic intellects, I'm still floored that people fell for his grift as long as they have. He has done more harm than good to the theory. Anyone who claims that if you disagree with any of their ideology, you are a racist is flat out disingenuous. His solution of a federal department of anti-racism is run by people, run by people trained by him. That's true. The federal department of anti-racism. Can you, that is like right out of uh, 1984. His refusal to debate people like John, like John McWhorter speaks volumes. How can anyone be surprised that he ran the Institute in the, into the ground? Um, yeah. Uh, it's um i you know this is sort of what happens when you when you don't when you don't uh kind of in well i don't want to say ingratiate yourself but he's just like not well liked it's hard though because he's definitely you know he he was a brand he made himself into a brand just by changing his name um from the get go that would be suggest that he was more interested in being a kind of figurehead than kind of I never got for some reason I don't hate him Mm. for some reason I don't have a strong emotional like negative uh you know like feeling towards him he's not a bad the way that I do some of the other yeah he's not like mean or nasty or like he doesn't yeah he doesn't come across as that's true that's true I don't even think he comes across as disingenuous I think he to me he just that's why grifter label kind of to me, it doesn't really fit because it seems to seems that he f- believes everything he says, you know, and it's just that he's he's doesn't belong there. He's not a very smart man. He's uh, taken this very uh, uh, this anti-racism thing f- far, you know, like uh, like very far along and he really can't carry it that far. Um, it, it's pretty clear when he's in interviews that he can't answer basic questions mm-hmm. like what is anti-racism and he just can't really it's it, simple things and he just can't he can't answer it with any kind of like rigor um and i just feel like is it is he being um 
you know, it's like, oh, this whole center, he, he, it's his big failure. But there were a lot of adults in the room, you know? Like, there are a lot of people who gave him money for no reason. Why did they do it? You know, why aren't we pointing the finger at Jack Dorsey, who gave him $10 million mm-hmm. for no reason? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Why did he do that? Because this is a useful, because this is like the, the closest, this is the, the easiest way to virtue signal. This is the person who's right. right in front of you, rather than actually going and looking for somebody who's doing interesting and potentially effective anti-racist right, work. Right. This is the person, this is a, this is like a glamorous, sexy figure, MacArthur genius winner. I don't know. I don't think he won it. And I think he won it after 2020. I think, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. He's, he has been anointed. It has been decided. Mm-hmm. That Ibram X. Kendi is the one. I mean, Ta-Nehisi Coates, at least, is a very beautiful writer. I feel like Ta-Nehisi mm-hmm. Coates is sort of, sort of literary credibility. Um, mm-hmm. and Kendi just. He never had any of that. No. Yeah. He never, I, I feel like he was set up to fail a little bit. I'm yeah. kind of feeling sorry for I him. I kind of blame the think, white people, actually. I blame the white allies I, in this case. I, I, I do. I do too, because I doesn't, it doesn't feel like, you know, he, he was speaking his truth. I hate that term, but it's true. It, he was, he was speaking what he, what he felt to be true. He was getting it out there and white people loved it and they ate it up and they gave him all these opportunities. And why, what was he supposed to do? Say no, right. you know, say I'm not, you know, I, I'm not uh, competent enough to handle all this. He's not going to say that. He's going to, uh, he's going to see the success that he, that's like unfurling all around him as evidence of his own talents and and you know the promise of his vision or whatever and then he's going to keep moving forward of course he's moving yeah. forward but and actually it would have been, in the room that gave him money right it would have been a dereliction of duty to not move forward with the money, right right if and you actually, believe in yes. what so why does why did boston university start this center right like there were adults in the room in boston university who founded the center uh, run by this guy who is it's pretty clear he doesn't know what he's talking about it's pretty clear he's not like super bright why did they allow that to happen? It's great for them because he's a star. It's right, a total right, right. feather in their cap. Right. Why wouldn't they? So, yes, exactly. This is just sort of like a circular firing squad of opportunism and uh, easy virtue signaling, if that's not uh-huh. a redundancy. Yeah. I actually, you know what? Okay. I, now I'm glad we sort of, glad we hashed this up because I now feel sorry for Abram X. Kendi. I feel I, sorry. I, I blame, I blame his, his white um, exploiters and enablers. Yeah, I I mean, I don't feel too sorry for him. He has probably a really nice kitchen from that grant money. Mm-hmm. But I I do feel like he was kind of set up in a way that he there was no way there was no way for him to succeed. And this is a this is the tokenism problem. You know, that there's no you are set up for failure right from the very beginning. And it seems like a gift to be held to a different standard than everybody else, but ultimately you will fail if you're set to any standard at all. And in this case, he's set to a standard of like basic competence and like producing some amount of research. But he was never capable of that. And he should have never been given the opportunity to have that much money in his hand when he has not shown, he doesn't have a track record of producing this kind of work. Why, why would he, you know, even from like an organization building perspective, like people go, their whole lives and work within organizations like nonprofit institutions, academics, whatever, but working in these institutions, learning how to manage, learning how to lead, and they still can't do it. You know, they're still not wonderful at it. Or, you know, you spend your whole time learning how to do this and you get to be good at 
50, you know, or six, you know, you're, oh, yeah, you're, but once you're, you're at that, that age, age and nobody wants you anymore. I mean, this really but, is, but, a, but that's the age yeah, when you get competent, know, right? Like that's a, when you're competent. But then they, they want like, um, you know, they want a flashy figurehead. This is a systemic problem. I mean, it's kind of an existential dilemma, right? Like, mm-hmm. do you, who do you trust with the keys to the kingdom? And then you've, it, you just have, I think we should bring, we should bring back competence, respect older people such who have been in the game for slope, a long period Sarah. of time. Bring I know. Competence. Oh my God. Hashtag bring back competence. That's not, Look, that is not going to take off. And I say this knowing full well that I'm a, you know, I'm a leader in organizations and have been and, you know, founded them and everything. But there was a so much that I had to learn to get to even a basic level of knowing what I'm doing. And I still have a ways to go, you know, and I, I think if I had to start an organization from the ground up, I would hire like a 50 year old woman. You know what I mean? Like somebody who's yeah, been like doing me. this for 35 years. Yeah. Well, well, no, not like you because you haven't been doing this for 35 no. years. So, but can, if you had been running an organization for 35 years, I would hire you. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. what, what should we call it? We should, can we, so it's Center for Anti-Racist Research. Well, we have team. our thing is called S&M, uh, you know, our production, Sarah and Megan, S&M, S&M Studios, Studios is what we okay. record our little recording this on. Yeah. Um, uh, well, yeah. So I feel bad for him. I think the whole tokenism thing, like you are, you're set up to fail. Um, and there's no way to really break out of it no matter what. Like once you started this cycle of pulling people up as tokens because you agree that on some level, a board of only five uh, of like five white people is a bad look or 10 white people is a bad look. If you start to think in those terms that if you don't see visible diversity at any level of an organization um, or in any segment of society, that that necessarily means that there must have been at some point some racism, some prejudice, some bigotry that held, you know, minorities back. If you follow this logic, then you will look at you. You will think, oh, my God, we don't have any, you know, we have like we're Boston University. We have all these different initiatives and we don't have enough black executive directors and we just got to get somebody, you know, and then you sort of panic and pull somebody, yeah. um, you know, up who's not. Who, who can't do it. Yeah. Um, so I think that this is a really, really, I think it's a spiral. Um, once you start playing this game, it's a spiral and it just gets worse and worse and worse. So I don't think that, I think a lot of the people cheering on the Kennedy demise don't seem to be really thinking about the fact that his ideology hasn't died and all the forces that got him to that point and all the assumptions that got him to that point are still there, untouched. We still think that you know, uh, his definition of anti-racism works on some level. It needs to be discredited entirely. I know. I do think, yeah. I mean, it, on an institutional level, I, it is very much thriving, but I do think it's telling that Michelle Goldberg has, uh, you know, she wrote 900 words or so, and there are hundreds of comments, uh, articulating what, what is, I mean, so I know, I know. Yeah. I just, Somebody needs to, somebody needs to just say, just deny it entirely. You know what I mean? Like, I think part of the problem is that we just, we just talk around the major issue instead of just saying, no, DEI doesn't belong on campus. No, this definition of anti-racism makes no sense. And we're not going to include it at all. 
uh, and we're just not good at saying no. And then we just, you know, five years in, in, it won't even be five years in three years. You and I will be here, hopefully on this podcast, oh, yeah. um, on Asana. Ugh. And we will be, we will be talking about the next big thing, you know, the next big, you know, anti-racism star, or maybe there'll be a new word for it. And they will be showered with, you know, praise and, um, pulled up to this like Christ-like stature. And we'll be here again, you know. I'm just trying to think if there was anything that could have that whole movement lose its luster. I don't know. We don't, I don't want to dwell on this. I mean, if there was another black president, do you think that would change anything? I think Obama started this. Yeah. Actually, I think the first black president was got us here because that, that logic was actually running in the background for too many people. At the time, Obama. But I don't think by him. But again, I don't think he was. Not by him. No, he didn't. He had he had great things to say. Yeah. Again, it's it's the manipulation of um, otherwise either well intended or um, merely merely useful usefully idiotic people. Yeah. Um, Okay, Uh, we're going to move on to uh, uh, much uh, the much darker topic of marriage. Um. (laughs) Uh, okay, so a lot, so we, we recorded a, a bonus last week and we were talking about the, uh, the debate. We also, uh, talked with Greg Lukianoff last week about the debate you were just in with the, the free press debate out in Los Angeles. So I think we, we, we will probably be rehashing this for many months to come. But, you know, like I was saying in the, in the, the bonus we recorded for paying subscribers, I'm finding myself at this strange kind of crossroads with the discourse. Um, mm. there's a lot of talk about how, um, liberals, a certain kind of class of liberals like us are joining with conservatives and really inviting a kind of, um, relitigation of, uh, the, the sexual revolution and values around mar- traditional marriage, nuclear family. Um, there has for the past several decades kind of been this idea in elite circles that a two parent household is, um, if not overrated, uh, you know, not as necessary as we once thought. I think that's being revisited and a lot of really smart people are pushing back against that. People like you, people like, people like Louise Perry. Um, and, um, right on schedule, uh, I was, I was starting to think about the ways I thought that this was a little bit simplistic. Right on schedule, there was a big piece. Well, first of all, um, there was a, there's a couple new books out about this. There is a, a new paper out, um, talking about rates of happiness and this idea that being married will, is the leading indicator of happiness. Um, and so there's kind of a whole bunch of l- lines of discourse sort of coming together. And Rebecca Traster in New York Magazine had a very long and comprehensive and, and interesting piece kind of, um, kind of, uh, putting this together and then, and then complaining about how it's, um, this is sort of conservative talking points that, that some liberals have latched onto and that we need to beware. So. Mm. Um, I wonder what you make of that. Yeah, I, I read her piece and I thought it was, um, there were some points where I, I think she raises like some, some, some parts of the piece where I think she raises a, 
an interesting point. But for the most part, I thought that she actually didn't have much of an argument. Um, and, and it's, you know, it's really hard for me sometimes to read some of these writers, um, and this was in the Atlantic, right? No, or was it this in, is in the New York, in New York, New York magazine. New York, right. She's a she's a New writer at large for New York magazine. Right, right. I, I, I just don't like that she cannot help herself, um, but uh, you know, just use the word right wing or hard right as this very like ooh nefarious thing. Like this guy says this, also the hard right guys say this. Yeah. So ooh, you know, Ra- Ross Douthat said it. Therefore, yeah. We will not take well, Ralph Douthat said it, and then other people, and then even more, like right wing people say this, agree with them, and that's I just why just just erase all of that. You know, I don't I don't even know why that's necessary at all. They can be right about something, you know. Um, and I don't, I struggle with this because I'm an atheist. I you know uh it, have lived my life very much in a way that is you know up until more recently now that I'm converting to tradism, but um. <laughs> uh, I, up until more recently, I, you know, lived a life that I think a lot of feminists would, you know, get behind. Um, and I advocated for, you know, the, the people being able to, um, walk different paths in life, um, and to, you know, have, uh, for society to embrace norms that were other than, you know, the very traditional religious norms. And yet I feel like it's not, it's not hard for me to say that sometimes religious people are right. Like, they, they, and maybe I don't agree with their reasoning. Maybe I don't agree with how they arrived at that, you know, like how they arrived at that conclusion. But I can just, I can agree that yes, they have a point there. We don't have to smear every argument that they agree with simply because they agree with it. I, I just feel like that's why is it that it's such a simple thing and yet it is not accepted even by, you know, so-called, uh, whatever. I mean, I'm not going to, I don't know. This is uh, just this thing. Just because your adversary her, but... says the sky is blue doesn't mean it's red. Right. And, 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 and she does have some other arguments too, but she starts out with that one, which is to me, to me, it's such a, it's like a ploy to get you to feel a certain way about it. Like right from the very beginning, like the bad people think this now, let me give you some arguments, but remember that all the people you hate believe this to be true so i'm going to tell you why why it's false i you know it it just feels yeah amateur like you know i mean it's it's interesting because here we are okay like how long has it been so you're when did the sexual revolution actually start i'm sure you have this at your fingertips people say in the the early 70s um with with roe but you can even go as far back as like 65 when birth control became okay. available to non-married people that's so interesting yeah my you know my parents were married in 65 uh i was born in 70 mm. It's very interesting. It's like that, that's particular, uh, cohort, right? My, right around, you know, my mother's age just like absolutely missed the sexual revolution. Um, that's like this very, this very interesting sort of sliver of, uh, this, this, this generational sliver of women that were like, you know, very much attuned to those messages, but like we're just too, a little too old for it and we're already settled down and had their kids and then that started happening. Anyway, that's not the point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so, okay. So here we are 50 years into this, give or take. I don't think it's surprising that we're now having to reckon with some of the unintended consequences. I mean, I think it's, 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 it's really important that we figure out how to have this conversation. 
um, without, you know, so to speak, throwing, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Okay. So here we are 50 years into the sexual revolution, give or take. We're hearing about a lot of people feeling alienated, lonely, isolated, failure to launch, people not moving out of their parents' house, people not in relationships, in some cohorts not having sex at all, apparently. Um, and there's a version of this that gets, um, gets chalked up to late capitalism, whatever that means. Uh, you know, the difficulty of making a living, impossible to buy a house, etc. And then there's a version of it that says it's just because people have lost touch with traditional values, and they're not in relationships. And we know, according to such and such data, that marriage makes you happy. And the fact that people are not getting married, therefore, is the reason that people are unhappy. There's a new paper out by this guy, Sam Pelsman. Is that right? Pel P E L T Z men. You tell me how to pronounce it. Peltzman. Peltzman. Yeah. Peltzman. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that has to do with who's happy and why. I mean, the happiness metric is also very kind of tricky. So anyway, I'm totally for this conversation. Um, I, I find it fascinating and I think it's really important. And I do think we have to give credence to people like, uh, Louise Perry and others. I also think that it can be overblown and has been grossly oversimplified. Uh, and like I said on our bonus episode the other day, um, the fact that marriage and family is good for many, if not most people still doesn't mean that everybody should do it. You know, and I think mm-hmm. we have to kind of make room for both of these truths. So it's interesting that it's it's um, in Rebecca Tracer's piece. She says a few like mildly contradictory things, but I think from what I understood um, of her argument, she seems to think that marriage is um, something that. If you were already privileged, like if you were already, um, what, you know, socioeconomically well off, uh, you have a, you have good, high education, um, like if you have all these other things lined up and then on top of it, you are married, then that, yes, that does give you a little bit of a boost in life. But, um, you have to already have a certain level of stability in order for a marriage to, to benefit you. That it seems to me that that's, that's kind of her argument um, that the causality is a little bit reversed, which is to say happy people get married um, and stay married. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're happy for a bunch of other reasons that don't have anything to do with um, uh, with what these sort of traditional commentators are talking about. So that's I mean, it's not a ridiculous thing to say. It's but but it is then. um important for her to then prove why marriage wouldn't help just everybody like why wouldn't it why is it something that it only helps you if you're already stable but why you know like why would it just give you know make make the rich richer but it wouldn't make the poor a little richer too um she doesn't really make that you know she doesn't really prove why that would be the case she just sort of states it as 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 such so i don't um, I don't dismiss it entirely, but I also don't buy it. She hasn't given me reasons to believe it. Um, I think it might be that 
it's possible that the causality is reversed, you know, like that, that it is the case that happy people get married. From my sort of, <laughs> I did not super duper read it. I skimmed it, the, the Peltzman paper. <laughs> And super duper, I did. I I skimmed super it. duper reading. Um, that's uh, I didn't super duper next, read it. Next level. Skill. Um, but but it seems to me that he doesn't. You know, uh, he 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 knows that it could be the that the, the causation could be um the other way. I don't know if he. I don't think he makes um a very clear. Uh, yeah, that was not like, an he, ideological he a very clear paper. position. That was not yeah. my impression. He was just presenting his data, which had a pretty limited survey sample, if I recall. Yeah, yeah. So he doesn't. Other people sort of uh, went ahead and wrote their think pieces uh, after after it came out. Um, but what's interesting about it is that the the happiness for men that line is really interesting. I don't know if you saw that graph in. Uh, from his uh did you did you Mm -hmm. see it should Mm -hmm. i send it to you um uh but uh, it was weird because men were initially happy like they were getting happier you know uh males um their line was a little bit squiggly but there was sort of a peak of happiness in two in the 2000s with men um and then it just sort of like fell fell down um and i'm wondering uh why that would be and why there isn't as much curiosity about why the male line is so odd. A peak, a peak of happiness after, regardless of marriage. Regardless of marriage, right. Um, and then suddenly there's a like a sharp decline and now this is because of marriage or has to do with marriage to some degree. Um, I don't feel like that's been that's being explained properly or in a way that makes any kind of sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, it has always been, I mean, I think for decades, there's been sort of data that you can find that points to, you know, if this on this happiness scale, they, if you look at married people versus unmarried people and men versus women. So I think the, the data has sort of led to this conventional wisdom that the, the very happiest people are married men. Okay. The second happiest group are single women. And then married women are third and fourth are unmarried. Unmarried men. men. Right. Mm. Um, I, so I do, I, and I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, they're not all economic, but you know, one of the, um, I'm going to circle back to that in a second, but you know, one of the, look, Rebecca Traster is a very smart person. She, she can be a really brilliant writer. Um, she's also, in this piece anyway, like very much locked into this idea that it's only conservatives and people on the right and sort of liberals who are, um, who are sort of their, you know, enabling liberal, you know, conservatives and their liberal enablers who are kind of giving credence to this movement. I mean, she says that it's clear that at least some of what's motivating conservatives is the threat of women in positions of power. When Roe was overturned, Ohio's J.D. Vance, who was then running for the Senate, tweeted, if your worldview tells you that it's bad for women to become mothers, but liberating for them to work 90 hours a week in a cubicle at the New York Times or Goldman Sachs, you've been had. Um, she also talks about David Brooks, who's, you know, he's gone on about this stuff <laughs> for a long, for years, um, at least as uh, long as, you know, his, uh, 
his, his own divorce from his first uh, marriage. And then he married um, a woman who was doing some research for him, uh, his much younger wife, who he's very happily married to. So no, no shade there. Um, but David Brooks uh, is uh, has been married more than once, let's just say. Um, so, you know, Rebecca writes, the sentiments like Brooks's plea to Times readers to focus more on weddings than careers. That was his column responding to the Pelzman study, I think. Give away part of the game. The fantasy that a return to a traditional family structure would take high achieving women out of the job market. Now, I don't, maybe I'm naive, but I don't think that's what's propelling this. That there's no. such a fear of having women in positions no. of power. No. no, no one's. I don't think. I mean, well, actually, maybe I am <laughs> a little bit, mm. you know, in that I do think that a lot of this woke nonsense has to do with a lot of women at the top. Um, but <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> for different <laughs> like, reasons. Yeah. They don't want women in reasons. power because women are, are running DEI. Uh, yeah, because they're, they're, well, they're gonna the they're gonna turn things and okay. you know, it's gonna become a mess. But but other <laughs> but 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 I I I don't actually think uh, that they're all misogynists and don't want women to compete. I think they do want women to be happy, and they genuinely believe that uh, there's a a social structure that leads to happiness for most most people. Um, and I don't know why that's tough for. Rebecca traced her to accept. Um, but it just turns me off of her writing every time she does things like this, where she's like impugns a certain kind of, uh, nefarious motivation among people who disagree with her. It just, it makes it hard for me to then, you know, view her as, you know, a, a serious person worth paying attention to. But I think she is, she is right about some things. Um, in that I, I, I feel like the, the paper had a lot of different, like, uh, there was a lot of different, uh, you know, um, d different ways that we can make this, um, uh, association if we wanted to. There were a lot of, there were really, there's a relationship with education and happiness. Um, the people who are more highly educated seem to be happier. People with less than like a high school di diploma or something like that, but less, ha uh, less educated people tend, uh, seem to have a greater happiness decline. Um, there was also an income, like household income, uh, uh you know, relationship that the people who uh, made more money were happier. So but this there's, is also there's, correlation. There's, it's easier. You, all you're going to go right? to, you're going to get out of bed every morning and go to school if you are happy and not depressed. These are, yeah, these are all like, correlations. I think like, that, yeah. And I mean, I think that it, people are only starting to understand the degree to which a lot of women of your generation, especially who I don't care what side they're on, left, right, or wherever, are having children, ha starting to have families and realizing that it's really hard and realizing mm -hmm. that they need extended family to help, ideally, realizing that even if their partner is doing exponentially more childcare than their own fathers did in the early years, it's still not going to be enough. It can't be enough. The mother does have to be there. Um, I think that this conversation is, is really burbling up in a very intense way. And it might be harder for sort of older people. And I mean, maybe anybody just sort of over 40 to see that this is not a political issue. This is a mm -hmm. life issue. Um, and it's multifactorial and it's pretty inevitable after 50 years of this experiment. Um, which is not a failed experiment, as you established, but it's also certainly did not go uh, perfectly. 
it's time to relitigate some of this. And the question is, how? Yeah, um, yeah. And w- w- one of the more interesting graphs in the Peltzman study was um, a-, a figure that that looks at happiness by age. Um, from 1972 to 20, uh, 2018. And the, the, the first graph, I think we'll, we'll try and post a link to it, whatever. I mean, we never, we're bad about posting links. We'll, we'll do it this time. Um, but it, the first is age 25 to 44. And the second is, um, 45 and over. And it just lends a little bit of, um, credence to what you just said, Megan. Um, that's why I thought about it because it's, it, in the graph of people, the younger people, 25 to 44, there is a decrease, um, like a substantial decrease, uh, from that peak in 2000 to, you know, it just starts going down again. Um, uh, but it's not, that intense of a you know of a of a curve um it is really bad with the age 45 and over where after 2000 it wasn't even much of a peak after 2000 they just they just drop um off a cliff some somewhat like men and i'm wondering whether you know there there was a point at which women who were working moms you know but like participating in the workforce and having a baby actually had a baby, you know, in like the 30s, 35, mm-hmm. whatever, they had a baby and then hit that, you know, uh, that difficulty that you just described of having to be parents while both people working full time. Yeah. It's just a really, really tough uh, way to live. And I think it is a recipe for unhappiness for everybody. So I wonder if really that's what's going on, like two people working and, and having a kid versus necessarily marriage. Although there's a lot, it seems like there's a lot of relationships floating around. I don't hold, I, I don't think too deeply about, uh, these surveys in the sense that there's a lot that goes into even considering yourself happy, what you think happiness is, yeah. how you define it, what it means for you that is cultural, you know, based, it's based on a certain expectation that you might have. It, it, it is, Related to so many other outside factors, it is not an objective measure by any means. Um, and so I don't know how well it measures any one particular thing. And then to then draw the line between happiness of women with marriage, I feel like it's, it's, it's stretch. It's, it's a weak, we're, we're, it's a weak, um, uh, relationship. I don't know if we can we can feel so confident about why why people are getting unhappy uh, less happy um and what that even means right like what does it mean to be less happy um well happiness it, is fulfillment it's and meaning i mean i i would i think that i don't think this is a controversial thing to say it's not about being happy like gleeful at any given time it's if you feel i, I like penelope trunk would say um, what's the word? So to, to me, those are like two separate things. Meaning. Um, engagement. 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 Yes. She said engagement. Yes. But, right. But I, to me, those are two separate things. Like I would have said that I was happier before I was married and had kids, mm. but that I am more fulfilled now or more engaged now with, you know, with marriage and, and like a fan, like a little trad family. That's what I would say. I would say I was happier when I was, you know, whatever. I slept more and I ate whatever I wanted and I went out a lot and it was, I had lots of friends and, you know, those were, those were nice things to have. And I think my day-to-day mood was better because my stress levels were lower. Um, and I was able to pursue hobbies that I found very interesting and engaging now I have less time to do that. I've just, my day to day is just more frustrating because I have so many other pressures, like 
you know, I have to think about somebody being constipated. That's not me. And what I'm, Thank what I'm going to do to deal with it. Thank you for worrying const- about that, my constipation, Sarah. Megan. Um, appreciate it. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So I think we're, you know, uh, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't call myself more happy than I was before I was married, but I would call myself more fulfilled. So that's, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that what, what does that mean? What does that, what does happiness mean yeah. to any individual? How are they conceiving of it? Um, are they looking around them and comparing themselves with something? Are they comparing themselves with social media? And is that a big part of I, oh, the happiness decline? I, I bet. I mean, what's the, I'd like to see a diagram with the rise of influencers, uh, intersecting with the decrease in, in happiness. Well, I mean, everybody. there's a whole, whole mm-hmm. at two, in the 2000s, mm-hmm. like the early 2000s, where suddenly women's happiness like falls off a cliff. Social media. Um, social media. It seems like maybe, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it, it, why, why isn't that That's like pretty the main, simple? You know, yeah. It, it, I hate uh, to be like, it's always social media, but in that case, yeah. I mean, I think there's another thing too that happens with conservatives pushing this marriage agenda because the fact is that people who tend to vote for Republicans, people with who, of lower income, lower education level, they're, they, they do not have intact families. They, they are having children out of wedlock at a much higher rate than people who are educated who are voting for Democrats. I mean, I had a fascinating experience many, many years ago, um, I had a friend who, uh, was a, she's a evangelical Christian, uh, very religious, very, con- very conservative. We had a beautiful friendship. We always talked a lot about politics and we joked around. This was before everybody went crazy. It was possible to have such a friend. And, um, I remember she invited me one time for like her church women, like a brunch or something. And, um, mm-hmm. women from her church. And this was like a real kind of Pentecostal sort of church. This was not your like, you how know, they dress vanilla. Did they were hats. They were no, they no, they were dressed super fashionably. This was like mm-hmm. Southern California. No, they looked like, like trad. They could be influencers. You know, they had like, they're mm-hmm. very, very like trendy clothes and very attractive. Um, and I think, well, I was married at the time. The number of them who were divorced, who were divorced in brutal ways, who had horrible relationships with their exes, who had had terrible things happen in mm. previous relationships, who had been struggling with substance abuse in relationships, just like really chaotic stuff compared to my mm. friends, my mm. friends in my like, you know, artsy fartsy liberal elite circles were Almost all of them married, very traditional, had kids, owned their homes, were not struggling with any of these issues, really, not to say none of them were, but the the liberal uh the, the liberal elites were so much more vanilla and traditional and really conservative in their personal values than these religious conservatives. So it was flipped. Yeah. The religious conservatives were saying everybody should be this way. And yet they were a mess. And the elites mm-hmm. were saying it's okay to be a mess. There's a, there's a million reasons we should forgive people for being a mess, but not under our roof. They would never allow right. their kids to yeah. do any of the things that they mm-hmm. were saying we should forgive people for allowing their kids to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Now, and it, it, that that's been my experience too, um, and it, I wonder, you know, whether there's something about, um, like, I mean, I when I was a little, um, little lefty, little liberal 
hating on all conservatives all the time. I, don't know, I never really did that. But, you know, when I, when I, at my peak, um, uh, conservative hating self, um, I would have said that it was just a, a hypocrisy. You know, it's, it's just that they live hypocritical lives. Um, and it's, you know, I, I remember Newt Gingrich running for president, talking about family values and knowing that he had like abandoned his wife. Yes, he's been married three times. Like he loves marriage. That's how much he loves it. He's it, done it three times. Yeah, that he keeps, And his wife wasn't was dying. Them, like, yes, dying. His wife yeah. was dying was, of, of cancer was, and he was r- running off uh getting ready for the for the next one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that I remember how much that disgusted me viscerally and I was that's what I would have said. I would have just said hypocrisy and that I would have been done with it. But I think maybe there is something more complicated going on. I think it it might also be that when you recognize something is really wrong in your community, um, maybe you hold fast to the ideal um, in order to bring bring some of it to life. I think maybe that the, possibly that could be a part of it. It's it's hard for me to explain and understand. Frankly, um, I remember when I was prepping for the debate for the sexual revolution, I read this um, kind of an, uh, like an ethnography, really. But but it, it was just it was a study that this woman. Um, uh, did she went in and interviewed a lot of single mothers and asked them uh, why why did you why did you have kids before you were married you know and why did you forego marriage um, and you know uh, and became a single mom like what 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 went on um, and she found that for many of them it was not a, it was not really a, a, an unwanted pregnancy that they that they had often it was. Um, it was not planned, but it wasn't unwanted. They wanted to have a kid. They wanted to be mothers, but they saw marriage as something like they revered marriage. It was like this ideal mm. that they would reach one day. And they really wanted to have all their ducks in a row to be able to, you know, get there. Now, this was not all the women she interviewed. Many of them had different stories, but she noted this as a commonality that she heard again and again um, with many of these women who would have kids out of wedlock. Uh, and not think much of it and and then say things like i've never been married because i think divorce is like i don't believe in divorce so that's why i've never been and married. were these and that's um, why of I have all three kids economic levels of, were these poor women or these were poor women these were poor women mm-hmm. these were poor women yeah these was lower income women um the book's called promises i can keep um and I would recommend somebody, if anyone's interested in, to, in this, to look it up. But it was, it was interesting that many of them said, you know, they would have kids out of wedlock and say, I'm not married because I don't believe in divorce. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I value marriage so much that I'm not married. Um, and there's, there might be something to that, you know, oh, definitely. Um, that they just, it, it, it's that capstone, cornerstone distinction. And right. maybe that, maybe there's just too many people, um, especially in the, you know, lower income, like classes, I guess, um, who, who, who think of now think of marriage as a capstone. Well, I think they have to reach. That's so interesting. Right. And again, that used to be a very elite phenomenon. So the capstone versus cornerstone thing, I think that was coined by, um, Bradford Wilcox from the National Marriage Project. Um, Mm -hmm. right. So the idea being that you used to be that you married young people would marry in their early twenties or whatever, and then build a life together. They would grow together. So the marriage Mm -hmm. was the cornerstone of their lives. Everything went from Mm -hmm. there. And Mm -hmm. so then as more women were 
getting educated and people were working in jobs and adulthood kind of got stretched, you know, people, late adolescence got sort of stretched and people had these very, these lives of young adults. Then they would finally marry and settle down and the marriage would be the capstone. I mean, I certainly conceived it that way. Absolutely. I was in my mind, I was like, well, I'm not going to get married until I've like achieved this, this and this traveled to mm-hmm. the, all these countries, like, mm-hmm. you know, dated mm-hmm. enough people mm-hmm. so that I'm sure mm-hmm. that, you know, I'm making the right decision. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And I'm not sure it's, it's hard to say. I mean, if, if you are go- in either case, you have to be really lucky in order for it to work out. I mean, I think that's the other thing is so much of this is luck. It's hard to meet. It's hard to find the right person. It's not even hard. It's just you either do or you don't. So it's interesting that Tracer also, she used that language. She used, she said somewhere, marriage is capstone kind of thing. Um, I think it's just that understanding of marriage, which, you know, might have been something that started at, you know, with, with liberal, like college educated women. But that, I think that's just everywhere now. Everyone thinks that, but who is actually going to reach those milestones realistically for themselves and then get to the capstone? Right. And that, that's, of course, that's like in time to have elite, kids. Elite more, right. Right. In time to have kids. That's going to be. That's going to be, you know, people like you and me that are going to be, okay, I got educated, you know, I went to college, I make a certain amount of money now, I, you know, went to Africa and Asia and whatever, and I did a safari, I did the things, you know, the check, 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 and now, you know, I'm 32, time to get married. Maybe it's a little bit of a hustle and some, t- some of them don't make it, but, but I think that out of, like, if the whole society has this vision of marriage as something they, 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 uh, you know, add as, you know, the final, like the icing on the cake mm-hmm. at the end. Who gets to the point of having baked a cake, you know, in the first place? It's going to be, uh, the, the, the upper classes. So I think that there is something to that. I am very much in favor of flipping that definition around. I really think the cornerstone thing needs to come back, um, especially when you are young. Yeah. And you know, I don't I think, think it is. That's a conservative opinion. See, I think that's yeah. the, the, the misconception is that, that that is somehow there's a political valence to that. Maybe there has yeah, been in the I, past, but I think that is changing. I think that has changed. I think everyone thinks of marriage as a as a capstone now. Um and I I I I think what what maybe needs to happen is for how we think of marriage and 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 motherhood and, and parenthood in general to switch. That that parenthood should be a capstone. <laughs> like, you know, but but maybe um marriage can be thought of as, you know, a strategic alliance to help you get to your goals, you know, provided that you share if you right. share enough goals and you're willing to support each other. Because I think I really th- you you mentioned luck, and I think that's 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 right um, for the most part. But there's also this element that people don't people just have higher standards for what they look for in a spouse versus just like this is just well, women especially just because me. they don't have to yeah. they if they really want to have a baby and they don't yeah. find anybody they don't have to settle yeah. they can they do don't, that they don't have to so they don't and so yeah. right and i just think it's going to take a couple of decades of that social norm to then to, to be able to step back and say did that work or not was that right, was that worth right. it or May- not and maybe we're just getting to I, that exactly yeah because we're the first it's this is the first time we've been able to really look back and see where it's gotten us and i think you know even that language like settle it it, we all settle 
You know what I mean? Like to some degree, we nobody is marrying their perfect partner. Um, I mean, maybe there are somebody's going to respond and say they love their wife more than life itself. But it's, it's always it's men. Have for- you noticed that? It's always men being like, I, I was terrible. My life was horrible, and then I got married, and I, I, I can't it believe I ever lived thing. that way. You, very, you don't yeah. as often hear women saying that, by the way. But yeah, not as often, but I do hear sometimes. sometimes. It's very annoying when, but it's very annoying when any of anybody says it. But I, I. Uh, you know, I, I think that there is, we have to stop thinking in those terms because going it on your own is, it's a privilege and it's great that we're able as a, we're able to as a society to be able to support a lot of people, um, who can live, and especially women who can live these independent lives on their own terms and they don't feel like they have to settle for anyone. But it is also, it is also true that you're not really even settling. You know, a partner, even a mildly bad one is, still going to often put you in the end in a better position than going it on your own because going it on your own is very very hard if like you paying want your own kids. bills is very very if hard if you want kids if you want kids but also if you want to uh, even financial stability to some degree i mean uh, so long as you don't have a partner who is you know um uh, you know a leech if you if you have some you know mi- mildly decent person cuz you can plan around each other's you know vulnerable points you know i i know people who um, got married relatively young and then they they put each other through school you know like one partner worked and the other you know the wife worked and the the, the husband went to uh, uh, school for med school and then the husband worked and then the wife yeah. went to law school and they were able to achieve the dreams that they wanted to achieve because they were willing to be the support system for the other okay, person that, while they got, you know, while they got this, this extra boost. Not, that's I mean, not, not every marriage scenario. is like that. I mean, that's a, that's the dream. A, what you just described is the dream. And it's I, a good, but I think it's a good partnership. I think it's, yes, but it's I, possible. But, but we, it's, but we also sit around here every week and talk about how men are not raising to the they're not rising, rising to, to the, the occasion, occasion. Yeah. and it's very yeah. hard so like a lot of women will say well i'm not going to get married because i don't need to take on another job i don't need to take on another child i'll have this child on my own but if i marry the father that's like having two children you mm-hmm. do hear that and yeah, so yeah, in, yeah. until you yeah. know i think this is why this conversation by necessity intersects with the conversation about what's happening with men right because they're, the, they're completely in, interdependent they are interdependent, right? And that's that's the problem is that to, 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 in order for men to become men, to go from, you know, boys in the basement of their, you know, in, in their mom's basement to a, a man, I think they need duties. They need the duty first, you know, and then to prove themselves capable to of, of, of wielding it. But they need to have it thrown at them um, because they're not going to choose to put it on their shoulders uh in in as in large numbers right. or at least not as many of them as as we would have expected but i think now we know now that they have a choice they're going to say no i'm going to i am actually happy living in a shoebox for the rest of my life making no money you know um and and not having a family and just gaming all day or whatever and like that's that is something that i that, that that's that's okay for me that's okay um and they're going to choose that easier option i think you know i mean in the past you didn't really have much options like people through parenthood was just something thrown at you marriage was just something you had to do yeah. uh and you had to grow up you know you had to become a man or become a you know woman or a mother or, or you know yeah a, a responsible adult and i now i feel like people can delay it for a very very long amount for a very very long time and now we're seeing 
the societal repercussions of all of yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's very telling, like Rebecca, it's, it's, this is emblematic of a sort of, um, there, there's a blind spot that a lot of liberal journalists have where they think that it's only conservatives who are concerned about this when in fact it's like a whole lot of liberal people, a whole lot of people who are going to vote for Biden without thinking about it um, share a lot of these concerns with conservatives. Mm-hmm. So there was a, mm-hmm. there's a, I'm just going to read one of the comments, the comments in the Traster piece uh, were, were pretty smart. Uh, one of them says, uh, there are always wonderful, exceptional stories of single women and wonderful families. I guess she means wonderful families of single parents and kids. It's mm-hmm. almost always single women, not single mm-hmm. men with kids, I mm-hmm. presume. But the broad-based data is inescapable, and the author, meaning Rebecca Traster, doesn't like it. Not one bit. To bolster her case, she introduces the specter of conservatives supporting this attack on single mm-hmm. independent women, her phrasing, not mine. But articles, but, but the articles in the New York Times and other publications are making the case to a liberal audience that family structures are predictive of better or worse outcomes. The fact that conservatives may be saying some similar things is inconsequential. Further, they're saying that liberals need to pay attention to this, despite the fact that conservatives may appear to be supportive of some elements of the findings. This is where I think the author's head exploded. And I think this is where a lot of people's heads exploded. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and it, it puts you in a position of just not, being on the back foot when it comes to addressing the problems of society. And then, of course, uh, the public is not going to trust you to handle the solution mm-hmm. if you never acknowledge the problem right. or you were too slow to acknowledge the problem. So I think we should just we should own up to it. Then you're going to, you know, I mean, and I think that this is where the sexual revolution conversation, like I'm, I've been thinking about it so much since the debate. Um, but it, it, so many people have not been paying enough attention to why, you know, what's going on with, with young women, what's going on with, with young men, why are they so deeply unhappy? Uh, and, you know, here comes along, you know, it's, a conservative or, you know, somebody with like right wing sympathies who says, actually, what we need is more marriage. What we need is more motherhood. What we need is less casual sex. Um, it's going to make a lot of sense to people, you know, and I think that there isn't and it, it isn't even ridiculous. Even to me, I, I think I am. I, I, I do think marriage is good for most people. Most of the time, I do think, uh, uh, you know, parenthood is I think it's very good, actually, for most people. Most of the time, I do think that that is something that um <clears throat> throughout history we have found meaning in and uh it takes a rare person to be able to carve out a life for themselves where which is full of meaning um and engagement outside of children so i'm i'm with them there at the same time they you know they they connect it all to the the advance of freedom and civil liberties and civil rights um like more broadly speaking in in the liberal the liberal world and that's why they start to lose me partially because i think that this is a lot of the things that they're concerned about is just a part of modernity you know it's a part of uh we are living in a society that's prosperous enough that it can sustain uh loose social like organizations you know it, it we we actually can afford to be there's a margin of error. for the first time there's a margin for error. Like, well, yeah Right. I mean, for the, for the first time, you know, like it, it, it was the case that very tight social 
uh, you know, very tight knit communities and families and, uh, you know, extended families even were a necessity to, to survive. And now that's not the case anymore. And that's what we're facing. What we're facing is a world in which it's a, we can survive even if we're alone and we have plenty of low effort, you know, entertainment and, you know, like plenty of low effort ways to, to, satisfy the you know reptile brain and what it wants um and this is a problem of modernity this is a problem of the the uh, of really prosperity these are these are luxury problems rich people problems i'm not saying to that to minimize it i'm saying that to 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 hopefully get get others to understand that this is something brand new for humanity like this is a horizon that's brand yeah. new for for our whole you know our whole history we have not had enough and we have been chasing more and more and more and more uh and now finally we're at a position where we actually have a lot and the choices that we have made in in that reality have dissolved some of the things that we took for granted like social organization you know like the uh, social institutions that have been around forever it's a new it's a new challenge, you know? It's a new discussion. Yeah, and I just think it's so important for liberal-minded thoughtful people to talk about it because otherwise we're just seeding the floor to trolls and guys who we, we were talking about on the on the bonus the other day like, you know, these these guys on Twitter who are just reacting to um but you know women with supposedly high body count and memes of empty egg cartons and there's just this kind yeah. of like you know there's this there's this young sort of th this new sort of i don't even know what you would call them the sort of online right that has reduced what we're talking about right now into a matter of women being selfish ho sluts um yeah. and yeah. and and wanting you know and running roughshod over men and right having, exactly yeah. like that the problem is that that's be that becomes the dominant conversation and i think the rebecca tracers of the world and believe me like these are many of my best friends they see that and they think that that's where the conversation is sitting and it's really not it's it has to be talked about in a way that is responsible and comprehensive and allows for you know some degree of uncertainty and and complexity because again like i i i want to be able to talk about this in a way that says all these things that you just laid out are true but it's all and it's also true that not everybody mm -hmm. should have kids i do think most people should have kids i actually agree with jordan peterson um on balance you know in principle mm -hmm. that if you that for most people working an 80 hour week ceo job um and never seeing your, your yeah. family or not having family is it's is not good. not good it's not good for men mm -hmm. or women the percentage of people mm -hmm. who want to do that is very small of those they're probably more likely to be men for a whole bunch of reasons but on balance most people don't want to do that especially most women um but I also think that there are some people who just get satisfaction from other things, whether it's doing creative work or being of service, of devoting themselves to some kind of religious, you know, non-secular pursuit. I just think that, like, there's a lot of ways to be in the world and there's a lot of ways to contribute to the lives of families without even without necessarily being in a family. But I, right, I think right. the I, issue is that we should if we're going to be pro natalist, it should be about encouraging people who want to have a lot of children have more, have more rather than telling people who don't want them that they should have them anyway. That should be the emphasis. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. I, 
I think I mostly agree with that. I think, I think, yeah, you're right that, that, but the, it, where I think we get stuck is that it's very, very hard for most people to then swallow that the idea that there should be a norm and that norm is not going to include everybody, you know, to say, even <laughs> just to say so what you just said. That's about it. It's great not to be included in the norm. But that, but that is, uh, that, that is the one thing that you can't do, I think, in a, in, in, in a modern context, that just to be exclusionary is the worst pot to be normative. Yeah, like well, it's like they use it as a bad to be word. that way. Like normative is a bad word in certain, like you just heteronormative, cisnormative, whatever normative, like, like a basic. Yeah. That, well, well, just to, just to have a, you know, a re- to have a, a way of doing things and one, most people adhere to. Two, most people want. Three, most people would, you know, benefit from is bad. You know, and to acknowledge that and call it a norm isn't itself a problem because it makes some people feel like they're outsiders. You know, the thing is, I actually like feeling like an outsider sometimes, you know, maybe just, yeah, it's like maybe I, maybe I, maybe it's it's not an outsider. You're just an outlier. I think people confuse this. Just because you're an outlier doesn't make you an outsider. We're only yeah. outside. Outside is being an outsider is like in the eye of the beholder. You know, that's that's an that's an inside right. job, as they say. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ugh, I just think people got to get used to this. I, I, I don't know. I feel like 30 years ago, everybody wanted to be on, like on the outside. <laughs> like yeah. it was cool no, no, to no. not be in the May. I think also, I mean, we, we should wrap up, but like this may, I need to think through this more that this may maybe be an extension of the kind of like mainstreaming of all culture. It's, it's like there's no sort of cachet mm. in being kind of indie or unknown or like a cult, you know, having a very small cult following. No boundaries. Well, it's There's all no about, boundaries. no, because Internet it's all about like, branding and, and monetizing and, you know, being, getting as many people to know about you as possible. So I feel like kind of, um, a, a more subtle kind of, um, slightly off to the side existence may have lost its currency. Yeah. Might not even be possible anymore. Well, I'm working you know, on it. Beyond just being, okay. Okay. Well, good luck to you, Thank um, you. Megan. I'm doing I think my part that... to stay unknown. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, um, yeah. Is there anything people need to know? Uh, subscribe, a special place, com. We are going to be releasing now full episodes. We're not doing this bonus thing where we used to have at the end of the conversation, we have a longer conversation for bonus subscribers um, uh, or just paying subscribers. But what, what we have now is uh, full, full episodes um, that are going to be paywalled um, twice a month for paying subscribers. So if you want access to that, you should go to a special place to subscribe um, we're going to try and get you guys more options to subscribe as well coming up. Um, so hold tight for that if uh, Substack is not your thing. But the Substack community is great, and it we really is. recommend it uh, because the comments are always interesting uh, and, uh, you know, very lengthy. Gosh, you guys oh, talk I a know. lot. If so much These to say. people have jobs? Like, what they, do they don't have jobs. What do they do what, I don't know what's going on. First, they're listening to us, Gab, and then and then – publishing or they're writing it some of them are listening and then they stop and write a comment while they're listening and then they go back to and listening then they like and start they again that the comment too. or make another oh comment. my gosh i don't know see this is this is the whole i think every 
people just need to learn how to code and like i don't know maybe it's like i i don't know i don't no, know how don't is anyone our people are our on we love them we need them no we do love them we do need them and we do love them uh so i'm glad that you guys have the kind of jobs that can glad you sustain. guys have no kids a bunch of barren wretched people with too much no no, no we're, we're, we're we're doing the thing where we're insulting them okay no. they, they, they are not kids. barren La- they're not, not no okay. they're not at all they have they're, and, and those kids are perfect yeah, They're, those kids are perfect, and they are perfect parents, and they should continue. And the ones to subscribe. that are not parents have made a perfect choice as well. Exactly. Um, okay, th- okay, that's it. Before we say anything yeah. else, I think we should just end on that happy note. Okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. All right. Bye.